The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Well, folks, I sincerely hope you enjoyed D-Bomb's episode one yesterday because, damn it, we got plenty more to go. Good Tuesday to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today. I got my schedule all mishmashed this week, and I forgot, but uh, that is entirely on me. I forgot I had a draft last night. I mean, I remembered by the time it came around, but I forgot I had a draft last night when I was doing yesterday's show. So Neil will actually be on tomorrow's episode of Fantasy NBA Today. We'll talk some gambling on Wednesday this week. Apologies for that. Fear not, we will get to it just a day later than usual. Today is a continuation of the D-bombs from yesterday. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I am Dan Bespris, which, as we learned yesterday, if you search for Dan from Hoopball, you can actually find me that way, and you don't have to try to spell my last name by hand. I'm really excited that I don't have to do the Bravo Echo thing on the podcast anymore. But if you'd like, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S is how you spell the name. I would suggest just searching for Dan from Hoopball, and that'll work better. Again, lots to come on Twitter. I'm taking questions now, by the way. I keep forgetting to mention that on other pods. What are you tweeting about right now? The answer is not much outside of cool new things that are happening at Hoopball, but I do respond to other tweets quite often. If you have a question about something we're selling, I can answer it. If you have a question about your draft, players, rankings, whatever, I'm available. At Dan Bespris on Twitter, I'd love to talk to you on social media. Give me a follow and hit me up. This is, of course, a Hoop Ball and Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee presentation. Hoop Ball is hoop-ball.com. That's the website at Hoop Ball Fantasy. Hoop Ball Tweets is the sort of uh, umbrella account that covers all of our different ones. Hoop Ball Fantasy is where you can get the blurb feed. So everything that's going down, you know, if you're talking about Monday night, you'll have the tweet on John Collins, the tweet on Trey Young, how they did in their ball games, any injuries that might come down, you know, LeBron sitting out the game, stuff like that. That's all going to come out on Hoop Ball Fantasy. If you are new to this operation, you probably are wondering what the hell I'm talking about when I say things like the D-bombs. Well, many of you, I think, probably already know. You can tune out for the next few moments. The D-bomb stands for the Dan Bespris Old Man Squad. And as I explained on yesterday's podcast, it's really not about being a super old basketball player as much as it is about being a not terribly sexy basketball player from the ooh reaction of your draft room but a very valuable one because generally these guys are being collected later than they should. Meaning they have value, inherent value built into who they are as a fantasy player. And it's a pretty easy job for you guys to just sort of reach out and pluck them later than where they're actually going to finish on the season. So yesterday we covered my first five. Six. Ha, I can count. In order of ADP. That's how this is working right now. I'm discussing them in the order that they are getting drafted on Yahoo. Okay? That's important to note. We're working off of Yahoo, and it's their ADP. So, I am also giving my thoughts on where I think they're going to finish this year. And then you can kind of get an idea of what the spread is on those two things. So, yesterday's show... Chris Paul had an ADP of 34.3. I think he's a top 20 guy this year. Mike Conley has an ADP of 44.8. He's a top 35 guy, I believe, this year, so a little bit outperform. Otto Porter, who's not super old but has kind of an old man fantasy game, also has an ADP of 44.8. I think he's a top 30 guy, maybe better than that. Clint Capella, 44.9 is the ADP. I think he's going to be inside the top 30. LaMarcus Aldridge is a top 25 guy with an ADP of 45.1. And finally, Tobias Harris was the last name we discussed on yesterday's show with an ADP of 52.5. And I think he's a top 30 guy because not only is he good, but he's also, like LaMarcus Aldridge, incredibly durable. Of those six guys, they certainly have the, the big totals edge because generally they play their ball games. 
We talked about it yesterday. Tobias Harris, despite being traded basically every year of his career, still somehow manages to play the 75 to 82 games every season. That's hard. That's with missing whatever it is, one or two games while being shipped across the country. And then Aldridge, he just, he's just durable. He just plays. So if you have questions on any of those guys from Monday's show, feel free to hit me up. I'd love to now uh, segue into some of our D-bombs for today's show. I already told you about social media. I already told you about hoopball. I should mention, by the way, that the hoopball draft guide remains for sale. And we had a coupon code at about the 15-minute mark of our Friday episode of Fantasy NBA Today. If you'd like, you can bug me on Twitter. I will give it to you. I'm being friendly because that means you're listening to this show, right? So you're listening to something. That's sort of what matters there. Uh, And that coupon knocks $4 off. So bug me for that one. I'm not going to repeat it on today's show because I'm sort of trying to figure out who's listening to what. Eh, Questionable, I guess. Uh, But bug me about that on Twitter. I'll give you that coupon code. Draft Guide now has the always fun sleepers and busts articles from the great Mike Passador. So check that out at hoop-ball.com. I want to start today with D-Bomb number seven. Again, only in order of ADP, not necessarily in order of how much I love them. I love them all equally. At an ADP of 54.1 is one of my favorite D-Bombs on the board and that is Eric Bledsoe. I know he had an injury in the preseason. It doesn't change the way I feel about Eric Bledsoe. He is, to me, one of the easiest picks that you can make in fantasy this year. I'll explain what I mean by that. Eric Bledsoe, last year, on a per-game basis, was number 44. And this is doing, by the way, the bare minimum, okay? Because he was the third option on that team, and he will be again. But he was playing out of position. He was playing out of position. Eric Bledsoe is a point guard that was playing shooting guard because Malcolm Brogdon was the point guard. Or if they rotated back and forth, it had him sharing his natural spot on the floor. He had a very efficient year, as you'd imagine someone would playing on a team with Giannis and Chris Middleton and Malcolm Brogdon. But his free throw percent was way down, inexplicably, at 75%, lowest since his second year in the league, when he was only playing 11 minutes a game behind Chris Paul. That will come back up. Rebounding is always solid. He'll have his assists, big steals guy, usually gets some blocks from the point guard spot. I think his volume goes up this year with no Brogdon around. I see no reason to think otherwise. So now you're talking about a guy who can go from instead of 12.5 shots per game to maybe more like 13.5 shots per game. We think one more? One and a half? What if he got to 14 shots per game? You're talking about a guy now getting probably closer to 18 points instead of 16. Maybe 18.5? Four and a half boards, five and a half assists, 1.5 steals. He can basically just cruise control his way into top... What did I say he was last year? 44 per game? Oh, he can easily eclipse that. He can walk into top 40 on a per-game basis. And he played 78 games last year. He has a bad reputation of being a guy who missed games, but Phoenix shut him down, remember? He played 74, still the year of the whole uh, hair salon incident, 78 this most recent season, and then... You know, back when it seemed to matter a little bit, he got himself onto the floor. So I expect 75 games out of Bledsoe. Top 40 per game, 75 games. You're talking about a top 35 guy, I believe, that's being drafted in the 50s. That's an easy one. And and here's the best part about taking Bledsoe in what is effectively now the middle of the fifth round. There's almost no way, and we said this yesterday as well, but I'll, I'll throw this caveat in there because you can say this about everyone on the entire board. Barring a catastrophic injury, there's almost no way he doesn't hit that ADP. The path is one of those, it's basically like everything would have to be a no. There's like 10 things that could all go right for Eric Bledsoe, and none of them would have to go right. Again, barring catastrophic injury, for him not to get to that 54.1. He'd have to just not shoot the ball or never touch the ball or have his field goal percent and his free throw percent both crater. 
and just not be involved at all in the offense. But none of the, the factors point to that being something that should happen. He should actually be more involved this year on a team that lost a couple of offensive options. The Brogdon one being the big one. He should be about as healthy as he was last year because, you know, he came into the league a long time ago, but he's not an old man yet. He'll be 30 in December, so he's sort of right there in the middle. The fractured rib is a pain in the butt. If he misses the first few games of the season, does that linger at all? That's a little bit distressing. Yes, I'm not worried enough to bump him off of where I have him because let's say he misses two weeks to start the year. You're still talking about a guy that can get to 76 games, and if you miss a couple more, you're talking about, what, 73? That's still pretty good and above the league average right now. Nobody's playing full seasons anymore. If he does any of those little things we talked about, slightly increased volume, better free throw percent, uh, more scoring with the volume, more threes, any more assists, all of these things could actually happen to him. And the only thing that could go south is his field goal percent. There's just too many ways for this to work. Uh, and yet, I mean, it really makes no sense to me. This is, again, a guy that was 44 on a per-game basis last year who figures to have a better role this season. He was 31 by totals, by the way, playing those 78 ball games, And he's being drafted significantly later this season than last year. I don't get it. With some of these guys, you can try to put the pieces together a little bit like, okay, LaMarcus Aldridge is getting very old. Or uh, Mike Conley went to Utah, okay? See, there's, a red, there's an explanation for maybe why he uh, is dropping off a little bit. Chris Paul injury stuff, maybe that's why. Uh, Clint Capella, I have no idea. LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, uh, the old thing I get, I mean, I don't know. And then, you know, Tobias Harris makes no sense. Eric Bledsoe makes no sense. It's almost just like, well, the explanation has to be, eh, somebody had to fall. In order for us to slot in all these guys super early, somebody had to fall. That's really the only reasonable explanation, and it doesn't solve anything at all. It's like, well, in order to fit Luka Doncic inside the top 20, someone's got to go. In order to keep Ben Simmons at 25, somebody's got to go. Pascal Siakam, Mitch Robinson, Zion Williamson, none of these, John Collins, none of these guys were inside the top 30 last year, so somebody's got to go. And now we basically look down and say, well, here's our answer. Guys like Tobias Harris, Eric Bledsoe, just got punted. The next name on the list, I I was tempted to actually go out of order because I kind of wanted to just bang out the two point guards here back to back, but that's not how we're going to do it. We're going to go from Eric Bledsoe to a man with an ADP of 55.2 and actually the one right below him on Yahoo's heat map, a big man, Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez, who for multiple seasons had foot stuff, and I think people might still be holding that over his head a little bit. They shouldn't. Came into last year and just obliterated expectations. Number 31 on a per-game basis. 31 on a per-game basis, playing 28.5 minutes per game, very repeatable, 2.2 blocks per game, 2.3 three-pointers per game. Here's the best part. He didn't need almost any volume at all to get there. He took 9.5 shots per game last year. 31 per game, played in 81 games last season, and was the number 19 totals guy on the board inside the top 20 even if you think robin lopez takes another minute away from brook or two heaven forbid i don't think that happens by the way brook is the far superior offensive player and shot blocker but for argument's sake let's say brook lopez's minutes drop from 28 and a half to 26 and a half you're still only shaving off about 7% of what he was doing, and for an ultra-low-volume guy, that's nothing. His blocks go down by a tenth, basically. 
Steals, stay put, rebounds. I mean, he wasn't rebounding anyway. Giannis gets them all. He just boxes people out. There's nothing that can really go down for Brooke Lopez. When he's out there, he's going to block some shots. He's going to shoot some threes. That's just how it goes. He is a super easy grab also. He's now going past the halfway point of the fifth round. Mind-boggling, right? I have him marked as a top 40 guy, and I'm calling that a very conservative estimate. I think he could easily get inside the top 35 again, both per game and totals, because the situation for him is just perfect. He's a perfect fit in Milwaukee. Spread the floor, box out, block some shots. That's all we need. You can do your big, lumbering two-step every once in a while, just to remind everybody you got a little bit of game. And he's an 84% foul shooter. He doesn't take any, but when he gets there, he's not going to hurt you. Everything about that is golden. This is why I keep saying there are all these guys in the fifth round that I would take in the third. I don't want to take them in the third, but I would. Luckily, we don't have to. Think of the guys that we just rattled off. And there's another one. We have one more name uh, before we do the recap, basically, on the fifth round. Uh, Chris Paul was the only guy that was on this list that was an ADP inside the third round, and he's on the list because I think he finishes inside the second round. Mike Conley, Otto Porter, Clint Capella, LaMarcus Aldridge are the four guys on the list that are fourth-round ADPs, and I have them, Conley, inside the third, Otto Porter, front end of the third, Capella, front end of the third, and LaMarcus Aldridge, basically the second-third split. He could be an end-of-the-second-round guy. And then in the fifth round so far, we've covered Tobias Harris yesterday, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez today, and the last name in this bunch is Kyle Lowry. I feel like you guys all knew this was coming anyway. Kyle Lowry was number 35 on a per-game basis last year. He was actually nine slots ahead of Eric Bledsoe, but played in 13 fewer games. So yes, by totals, they flip. But Kyle Lowry last year, while dealing with the Kawhi Leonard show on their way to the championship... Averaged 14 points, 9 assists per game, 5 boards, 2.5 threes, 1.5 steals, and half a block. Turnovers were a little bit on the high side, but 83% of the free throw line, bad field goal percent, that's where he's always going to ding you. This year, there's almost no way his volume goes down anymore. A worst-case scenario is his volume stays exactly the same. The minutes could come down a tiny bit, but with no Kawhi and no clear replacement of all of the shots he was taking. Kawhi took 19 shots a game in the 60 games he played last year. I know Pascal Siakam's going to take more, but guys, let's be honest, they just gave Kyle Lowry a $30 million extension for next year. They want him to do stuff. He's kind of the face of the team. So he's 11 and a half shots. Let's say conservatively that goes up by one attempt per game. Right now he's averaging about 1.3 points per field goal attempt. So that takes him from 14.2 to about 15.5. Maybe he gets as high as 16. The assists are going to stay high. Freddie Van Fleet's going to be on the floor with him, so I don't know that we pump them up any bit, but they certainly stay close to where they are. He's going to grab a few boards. He's going to take his threes. His steals are going to be there, and the only thing that hurts you is field goal percent. He can, like these other guys, just walk right into top 35 per game numbers. He almost doesn't have to do anything at all. The only reason I demote him here in my rankings from top 35 to top 40 is that I think you're lucky if you get 72 games out of him. I think you're aiming for 68-70. But again, third, uh, a middle third round guy playing 68-70 to 70 games is still kind of a middle third to late third guy by totals because nobody plays 75 games anymore. The guys that do get a bump. It's no longer you take points off for guys that don't get to 75. Now... You just award extra points for the guys that do. So that's four names now I've listed with ADPs in the fifth round. Tobias Harris, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Kyle Lowry, that I believe all have a legitimate shot to end up inside the third round. And Kyle Lowry, to me, the health thing is the one factor that might preclude all four of those guys from hitting third round marks. All four of those guys, I think, could go over their mark by two rounds. Two things to mention here before we go to the sixth round. 
of our D-bombs. The day and best for sold man squad week here on Fantasy NBA Today is brought to you by MyBookie.ag. They are deposit matching right now at MyBookie. Enter promo code TODAY, T-O-D-A-Y. When you open up your new account, and MyBookie will match your first deposit up to $1,000. I've done it. Brew's done it. Neil's done it. We're all doing it here at HoopBall. You should, too. Move your money over to MyBookie.ag. Bet with us during this NBA season, 2019-2020. We will grind our way to a profit. This is not a quick fix. We will grind our way to a betting profit. We're going to look back at the whole season and go, that was quite a move, but worth it. I also want to remind everybody that the Hoop Ball newsletter is rumbling along. We have almost 300 signups in the first couple of days here since announcing it. You should too. It is, again, the only place on planet Earth you will get Aaron Bruski's exclusive writing this season. The Hoop Ball newsletter can be found, the sign-up form, on Twitter by following me, at Dan Bespris, or HoopBall's at HoopBallFantasy. We are posting about it a couple times every day. Just make sure to check the, the timeline. Probably easier for to check mine than the HoopBall one. And look for the notes about the newsletter. You click the link, you enter your email address and a first name, and that's it. It takes you nine seconds to sign up to get Aaron Bruski's exclusive content in your inbox. And he's doing it all season long. Again, you cannot get it any other way. It is completely free. I should mention that again. This newsletter is free. F-R-E-E. Free. You're hearing that right. Aaron Bruski, straight to your dome, free. All you got to do is sign up for the newsletter. You just need an email and a first name. That's all you need because it's going straight to your inbox. It's a really big deal. You guys should sign up. Really. Like, this is this is one of the bigger things we've done lately. We'll turn our attention now to the next set of D-bombs. We move past the fifth round, and we are now officially into the sixth round with an ADP of 61.9, the front end. He's no longer a member of the Boston Celtics, the team that he slowed down. Can't beat him, join him kind of thing, or if you can't beat him, pay him more to come join you. And that's Al Horford, whose ADP is 61.9, And he's set to just keep on doing what he always does. Al Horford, master of the low usage relevance. If you're like, well, how's he going to do any of the stuff he did with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons next to him? I have good news for you. Al Horford only averaged six and a half rebounds a game last year anyway, and he hasn't averaged more than seven and a half since 2013. So his rebounds, they probably won't change too much. His assists, they're always going to be great because he's a fantastic passing big man. He gets steals. He gets blocks. He has great percentages. He'll even step out and knock down a tray these days. The only thing you won't get out of him is much scoring. But the scoring he does do is on a very high percentage. Career 52.5% from the field. Career 75% foul shooter. And better than that in the last three seasons, he's at 80. Everything about Al Horford you have to like. He is a true Roto 9-cat guy. Now, is he going to impress? No. He is 100% the definition of a D-bomb because there's nothing sexy about his fantasy game. The popcorn stats are non-existent other than four assists for a center, which is kind of interesting. All of his value is tied up in the fact that he gets a three-pointer from a big man spot, Combines for 2.2 defensive stats, only one and a half turnovers a game, and his percentages are 53 and a half and 82 and a half last year. It's really interesting, actually, to look at his sort of hot cold map on player raiders. He's negative in all of the stats that I would call ones people pay attention to. He's negative in points, he's negative in threes, technically, sort of positive for a center, I guess. He's basically negative in rebounds for a big man. His assists are good, but they don't pop off the page because he's not a point guard. You know, you see four and you're like, okay, that's fine. And then he's excellent. He gets you a steal from a big man spot. His 1.3 blocks are good. His percentages are great and his turnovers are low. It's crazy. He's good in the things that I look for. Defensive stats and percentages and turnovers generally. 
And so everything else is just kind of gravy. Doesn't hurt you anywhere. It's a magical thing to, to tag to put on a guy in a roto format. Last season, Al Horford, with those weird stats I just rattled off, was number 29 on a per-game basis. Now, as we've said before, there are small caveats. He did only play 68 ball games, So his 29 took a little hit. He was 34 by totals because, again, the average now is only 70 or 71 games. So 68 doesn't set you too far behind the eight ball. But that was five slots later. So let's say he only gets to 68 games again this season. Let's say his totals are actually about five slots lower than his per-game number. Do we really believe his per-game is going to drop from 29 all the way to 56? 57, basically. I don't think so. So he becomes a pretty easy grab in this early sixth round because you're saying, look, he's not fun. Oh, Orford's not a fun player to own on your fantasy team, but he's just going to chug along. Probably this year, not at a top 29 level, but maybe more like a top 39 or top 45 level. And even if he misses a handful of games, he's still sitting around the top 50. I think he probably does a little better than that. So I'm going to call him a top 45 guy getting drafted at 62. That's a round and a half of value. Can you argue with it? Absolutely. Because sometimes you just want to have a fun guy on your basketball team. You want to have the big popcorn. You want to have the explosion. You want to have the supernova guy on your team. You want to have Zion. It might go nuts. Obviously, you'd have to draft him a lot earlier. You're at a point now in the 60s where, you know, your choices are take a shot down the charts or get the guy you know is going to be a steady producer. I think... To a certain degree, you don't draft all D-bombs on your fantasy team. You don't go all old man squad. Because once you get to the 6th, 7th round, you should probably have a risk. One guy in there should be a risk. Somebody that could pop off and go crazy or also tank you. Although, as I've said before, I think if you have all of your guys in rounds 2 through 5, if your 2nd, 3rd, 4th, and 5th rounders all outperform their draft position by a round, you're in fantastic shape. Because that means you have two first-round values, a second, a third, and a fourth. Just start your team. Uh, you can start taking some chances in the sixth. If you took a chance earlier, Al Horford is a brilliant selection because he's your anti-chance take. And yes, I'm totally satisfied with the notion that I'm making up words. It's all about team makeup. The names that I've listed so far, and, and I'll hammer them out real quick because we're at 10 guys at this point. Chris Paul, Mike Conley, Otto Porter, Clint Capella, LaMarcus Aldridge, Tobias Harris, Eric Bledsoe, Brooke Lopez, Kyle Lowry, Al Horford. You can't build your team only with these guys because you end up ignoring some statistical categories, some positions on the floor, frankly. But you are in really good shape. Also, you can't have all of these guys because I listed 10 names and there's only been six rounds, air quotes, to this point in your draft. But if you took Chris Paul in the third, which is a little bit of a risk, honestly, and you took Otto Porter in the fourth, no, scratch that. You took LaMarcus Aldridge in the fourth, and you took Eric Bledsoe in the fifth, you're in pretty good shape. You got good field goal percent, great free throw percent. You could probably stand to have a tiny bit more scoring, but LaMarcus isn't bad there. You've got good rebounding, because two of your three... Bledsoe is a good rebounding guard, and LaMarcus is a double-double. You've got assists with Paul and Bledsoe. You've got steals with Paul and Bledsoe. Some blocks, Bledsoe gets a half, and LaMarcus gets one point whatever. And your turnovers are low. I mean, that's the thing there. The only thing that you really suffered in was probably scoring, maybe threes... I'd probably say threes more than scoring, but you can collect, you can collect those later. There's a really neat way to create a team with old men where you just slowly plot along with guys that are outperforming their ADP in the least exciting way possible. It's going to be a team you almost never want to log into to see how they're doing because on a night-to-night basis, it's going to look like they're kind of underperforming. It's going to be like, oh, Chris Paul had 15-9 and nine with a, a steal and a three-pointer but you're not going to look at the fact that he did it with two turnovers on 48% from the field and he made, you know, whatever it is, three for three at the free throw line. That stuff's not going to jump off the page. And the Marcus Aldridge, oh, okay, you know, it's fine. He had like 19 and 10. It was a little quiet. He had a, he had a block. But he did it on 53% shooting from the field and he did it 
uh, going five for six at the free throw line. And Eric Bledsoe, he had 14, five, and, and four. You know, these things are not jumping off the page, but they do it in an efficient way that keeps you towards the top of your Roto League in the percentages. It keeps you towards the top of the league in turnovers while quietly moving in a good direction in every other category. You're not getting blown out in anything, and you're beating up on teams in categories that they're probably overlooking. Let's do one more guy in the sixth round. And he's also not that old. Well, Al Horford was a little bit. But just in terms of some of the guys we've talked about not being all that old. But he's been in the league for a little while. He's 27 years old. He's on the Grizzlies now. And that's Jonas Valanciunas. This one baffles me. And I can only uh, explain this away by saying maybe people didn't pay attention to what happened when he went to Memphis last year. Jonas Valanciunas with the Grizzlies averaged 15 shots a game. He was chucking, man. Shot 54.5%, 20 and 11 with 1.6 blocks. And his free throw percent was actually down a little bit. He was at 77% over that stretch. His turnovers were way up. He was just having a ball, man, playing for a team that finally kind of took the fetters off. Now, as I've said a few times before, we have to look at this from all angles. Nothing is all positives. He's not going to get that type of usage this year. They have too many young pieces they want to work in, so we can't expect JV to be taking 15 shots a game. I don't know that we want him to take 15 shots a game. It was fine, but it's sort of unreasonable, and he probably wouldn't be able to stay healthy all year playing at that level, that clip. He's a beast of a rebounder. If he's on the floor for 25 minutes, he's going to get you 10 rebounds. That's where he's at now. He's like 9.5 rebounds in 25 minutes a game. So anything over that, he's got you a double-double. Uh, I would expect something more like 15 instead of 20 points per game, and, you know, maybe 1.1, 1.2 blocks instead of 1.6. But he's a big man with good percentages that will, again, just sort of walk you into decent value. His ADP is 67.1, which is pretty damn high for a guy that was cruising along at top 40 with his new team last year. And that was with the very high turnovers, which will undoubtedly be lower this year than 2.7. There's no way that keeps up. With Valanciunas, you have to look at the last two months of the season from last year. You can't look at the full year because half of that, more than half of that, was Toronto, which was a goofy time for him. They didn't really let him play. JV is, to me, a top 50 kind of center. Generally pretty durable. He had that unfortunate broken wrist last year that kept him out forever generally he's a pretty damn durable big man so let's assume he's gonna last the year you take out the fluke injury which it happens to everybody say the turnovers come back from 2.7 back into the mid to low ones which is where he's basically been throughout his career bring the points down from 20 to 16 rebounds from 11 to 10 16 and 10 with 1.2 blocks on good percentages and low turnovers you almost described Lamarcus Aldrich with a little bit less scoring. So JV to me is a top 50 per game guy with durability going at 67. I would happily take him at the end of the fifth round and anywhere in the sixth round because I think with the durability, you're talking about a top 50 guy that could probably push up towards the top 40 playing in 78 or more ball games. I really do think that's within reach. Durability is... An asset nowadays. JV's got it. Brooke Lopez has it these days. Bledsoe, Tobias, LaMarcus. Of the guys on the list, those are the guys that you give a little bit of an extra click to. That makes them more appealing in head-to-head leagues. Although with Memphis, you wonder what might happen down the stretch. But in general, you can't take those zeros. So it makes them a little bit more appealing in head-to-head leagues. And obviously it makes them appealing in Roto Leagues because... You want more games being played out of your more important guys. It's a little different than having a guy ranked around 100 on a per-game basis that plays in all 82 games, and he gets bumped all the way to 75. To me, that's a little bit of an optical illusion because I'd rather have a top 75 guy who only plays 70 games than a top 100 guy who plays all 82. They come out at about the same exact rank, but one guy did it in 10 fewer games, so you fill in those other 10 games with something else. 
In this case, however, JV, who we're talking about going at 67, middle of the sixth round, and putting up what I think is going to be top 45 full season value, you're probably not going to be able to get a guy in this same range that's the number 45 per game dude that only plays in 72 ball games. Maybe you can. Maybe one of these guys does it. And that's a possibility. Okay? I'm not saying that's off the board. The guys that are going near Jonas Valanciunas right now are uh, Al Horford, who we already talked about, Gallo, who's definitely not playing in all 82 games, Malcolm Brogdon, that's a possibility, Thomas Bryant, who's going behind JV, probably going to have similar per-game numbers, so which one do you trust? Probably the guy that has a portfolio. Victor Oladipo, who's only going to play four months max. Josh Richardson, Steven Adams, who's basically a free-throw punt guy, despite what's going to be a really nice year. I I don't see any obvious guys in that range that are going to be a top 45 per-game producer with some injury issues. Those guys just aren't there. So for me, in this part of the draft, I'd rather take the guy who... JV, still likely to outperform his draft position by a round and a half, and then with the durability on top of that, could outperform his draft position by as many as two rounds or more. So that's just gravy. Where I dial it back, which is what we were talking about a minute ago, is later in the draft, where I'd rather have a guy with some upside, late, again, towards the 8th, ninth, 10th round, that type of area, and later... And the other place where you sort of dial back this need for durability is if you can find someone that you know is going to be a big-time per-game producer. So this time, or there's a third, excuse me, there's a third time when I would dial it back. The third time I'd dial it back is if I thought JV going at 67 was going to be about number 67 per game, and the only advantage I had there was that he was going to play some extra ball games. I'd be less inclined to take him. But I think he's going to outperform that ADP per game, and then totals are going to push it even farther into a net positive game, if that makes sense. And now we sort of push our way outside the top 75 into no man's land. This is a special place. Because now you can go anywhere. And now the rules of the road change a little bit in that we're not, we're not necessarily looking for just the guys that have fallen a little bit too far. We're now looking for the guys that have fallen way too far. The guys that are older, the guys that are reliable, the guys that still have a little bit of upside beyond their ADP. So to me... This is actually where we built the D-bombs last year, is what I was saying. Here's some guys you can throw into the mix to round out your draft if you need to fill in some spots where maybe you took some risks. There's a couple of reasons why you'd want these guys towards the end of your draft. Number one is, if you took some risks in the 4th, 5th, 6th round, now that we're getting to the 7th, the 8th, the ninth round, you probably want to have some guys that you can plug in in case that fifth rounder turns out to be a fat dud or that sixth rounder poops all over your team. You want to have someone you can plug in there where you're not scrambling and blowing games on a clunky waiver wire pickup that's just not working out. The other reason to take these guys is, to me, head-to-head leagues make a lot of sense because a lot of those are unlimited games played, daily moves with, you know, whatever it is, four waiver wire pickups per week. So streaming is relevant, but also having 13 to 15 guys on your team that you trust all the time is relevant. You can't afford to be stashing dudes in those formats because you're taking terrible numbers every week and just trying to hang on. You need late guys that are going to quietly punch along at a top 90, top 80 clip. That's less important in a Roto games cap, especially if the games cap is only 82, because in that spot, you really want to maximize each per game individual value. If your games cap is a little bit higher, like 85 or 90, these guys become a little bit more relevant because the guys on the wire are less, well, good 
a duh, less good. And so you don't want to be using those guys to fill in too many of your additional games. If you have to plug and chug a guy in every once in a while, that's fine. But 10 starting spots, if your games cap is 90, you got 900 games to fill in. Your starting, your best 10 guys, as we just talked about, are probably only going to clear about 710 to 720 of those games. So you're going to need 180 games off your bench. That means you can't all go 180 weirdo waiver wire pickups. A lot of them are going to be really bad, and you're going to bring down your team average. Some of those 180 games are going to have to come from reliable bench performers, and that is where you look for D-bombs a little bit later. That's when you get past, like, 95 in ADP. I don't know that we're going to get necessarily that far on today's program, but we're inching up towards it because there's a little bit of a drop-off here. Once you get past Jonas Valanciunas, there's actually a run of guys that aren't really old men and aren't really undervalued. In fact, here, just for posterity, the guys after JV on Yahoo, we already told you Thomas Bryant, Oladipo, Richardson, and Steven Adams, uh, Jonathan Isaac, John Morant, Terry Rozier, Marvin Bagley, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Demonis Sabonis, Hassan Whiteside are the next guys on the list, which are all risk-reward dudes in some fashion, whether because they're young, new situation, uh, the yips. <laughs> There's a lot of different reasons. Until you get to number 60, uh, 76.7, ADP 76.7 is the next guy on our list, which now moves him into the eighth round. Seventh round? Seventh round. Don't worry, we can do this. And that's Gordon Hayward, which to me is an example of a distressed asset. Gordon Hayward played all of last season and looked terrible doing it. He's not going to be the Gordon Hayward of Utah. That's what everybody's trying to say. Oh, he looks really good in the preseason, and he's going to be the Gordon Hayward of Utah. That's not going to happen. He was number 32 that year, scored 22 points on 16 shots per game with five and a half rebounds, three and a half assists, two threes, a steal, great percentages, low turnovers. He's just not going to have that freedom on a Boston team that also has Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Anis Cantor, who's going to chuck when he's in the ball game. I know he's not an offensive guy, but he just takes shots every time he touches the ball. I think you can probably slot Hayward in as the third option on this team, more than likely ahead of Jalen Brown and behind Kemba and Tatum. But a third option is still looking at more like 14 shots than 16. So let's dial our expectations back a little bit. And let's call him more like a 15 to 16 point a game guy. One and a half three-pointers, four rebounds, three assists. Would you, would you be satisfied grabbing a guy in the seventh round that could give you 15, five, and four? I would. 0.8 steals, 0.3 blocks, let's say 47% from the field, 83 at the line. Yeah, Absolutely. So I think he's a guy that he's probably going to post per game numbers not that far above, actually, where you're taking him here at 76.7. I'd be pretty satisfied if he was sitting inside the top 75 all year. But I think he's going to play most of the games. I think he's over the stuff from last year. And so I think there's a little bit of a, this is a guy I pick that is not big-time upside chasing, but he fills out my roster in a nice way that doesn't hurt me and the other guys around him in the draft are guys that could actually fall apart during the year. Is he a guy I'm chasing? No. But he's a guy that if he falls a tiny bit further than this, then I scoop him up in a heartbeat. And he's right next to Marcus Gasol. And I'd certainly rather have Gordon Hayward in those two things. And he's right next to Hassan Whiteside, who, if you played with him last year, you know he could actually blow up your whole team with one category. There are other guys, I will admit this to you guys, there are other dudes around Gordon Hayward where I'm starting to think I'd rather take a little bit of a shot. Shea is an interesting one. Sabonis is an interesting one. Oubre is a couple picks later. I think this is a part of the draft where you start to take some shots. But again, if you took your shots earlier, if you took a Mitchell Robinson real early or someone like a Thomas Bryant or, uh, you know, it doesn't even matter what guys we're talking about here. Dudes where nothing where there's no real guarantee the way that some of these veterans, you kind of have a guarantee of, of some level of production out of them, then Hayward makes sense as a guy to sort of have on your team to plug in 
in case one of those earlier dudes falls apart. So I'm tempted to go one farther. And, I, ah, boy, I think I'm gonna. We're gonna go one more guy on this one. 91.1. So we've now moved into towards the end of round eight, actually. This is a pretty big drop-off. Uh, because the guys, for me, the guys between Gordon Hayward and Jeff Teague, who's the next man on my list here, are not guys that have fallen all that far or guys that are actually a little bit above where they need to be going. Um, younger guys, interesting grabs, that type of stuff. Jeff Teague is on this list precisely because he has fallen too far. He's an old man and he's a point guard. Jeff Teague in his final season with the Pacers averaged 15 and 8 and was the number 45 fantasy player. This I, I want that to sink in for a second because you're gonna in your head you're gonna say, Well, what happened last year? Why was he so terrible? Wasn't he kind of close to that last year? Yeah, he actually was kind of close to that last year. Uh, he was at 12 points instead of 15, so yeah, that's a little bit down. But he was actually at 8.2 assists. He was above the 7.8 assists. His steals were only down a tiny bit, but his field goal percent was down 2%, and his free throw percent was down 6 And that, somehow, because this is, this is how things fluctuate big time, between 45 and a whole lot later was how Jeff Teague was number 45 in 2016 and then came back this most recent season with the Wolves in an injury-plagued year, was outside the top 115. Right? Crazy. 70 slots, the difference. Could it really be? Three points? Really? How was it that big of a drop-off? Because the assists were still there. The percentages, a big drop. 2.3 turnovers was actually lower than what he had with Indiana. The threes were never really part of his repertoire. It was heavily the percentages, which is sort of mind-boggling. But if you look at his career, his career 44.5% shooter from the field and 84 at the line. Last year, he was well below his mark in both of those, and I think you can put a lot of that on injury. This season has bounced back written all over it for Jeff Teague. He's fallen way too far. He's not super durable, but he also hasn't been ultra dinged up throughout his career either. He's actually been pretty good up until this last season. Mostly 70s, a couple of 80s actually blended in there. I would expect him to play better. I think the Wolves actually want to compete. I don't know that they're gonna, but they want to. Derrick Rose is gone. Tyus Jones is gone. They're in much running up behind him besides Shabazz Napier. So I love this one as an eighth round pick. He fouls out your team. And to me, because of the bounce back and because of the fact that people suddenly think he's injury prone, Jeff Teague is inside the top 75 to me with his eyes closed. I think he could actually be a top 75 guy on a per game basis and even push a little higher than that by totals, but we're not going to go too far with this one. He's a situation, again, where an eighth round pick could end up with sixth round value. That's worth taking. And he's the point guard you can target later in drafts. You just have to be aware. Keep one eye on the other teams in your league that maybe are missing point guards that might scoop that guy when you've got an eye on him. That's the one thing you need to be cognizant of with Jeff Teague. Tomorrow, we'll have a pair of guests, I believe. Should be Neil Rochelani and Brandon Marcus, but we'll see how all this shakes out. I'm done predicting the rest of the week because I have drafts all the time, and so does everybody else. So now we're just working it all in. Had my first Keeper League draft on Monday night, and it was a weird one. It's kind of a retooling year for me, or I would have broken it down for you guys. But what I will do is break down some of the other drafts that I've got coming up. That'll be kind of fun as well. Uh, We had a request from Twitter that one of our shows before the season starts, we should go through some of the guys that are ending up on the waiver wire. But I see no reason to do that until basically the Monday before the season starts because, frankly, if there are guys on the waiver wire that you should have, you should have drafted them. If they're not on your team and someone else is, that means you made a mistake on draft night. So go back and just check the B-150 and you can fix that. 
We continue to recruit here at HoopBall. Hit me up at Dan Bespris if you want to get involved with us, want to learn how to write fantasy, you want to learn blurbs, you want to write articles, you want to get involved on the contributor side, you want to do podcasts, you want to cover a team, hit me up. We've got room for everybody. That's not true. We don't have room for everybody. Uh, but we have plenty of spaces that we can create. We are a growing organization that's just looking for sharp, passionate people that want to get in nice and early still while we are continuing to grow as fast as we are. If you've got a skill and you think it could be of use um, and you've obviously got the time and passion to apply it, bother me. Again, Dan from Hoopball. Google that on Twitter. You can find me, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. That is my Twitter handle. Uh, again, thank you to Hawaiian Isles Kona Coffee and mybookie.ag. Sign up for the Hoopball newsletter. Go get the draft guide. It's got sleepers and busts and the B-150 in it, and we got a coupon code ready to go. All you got to do is ask me for it on the internet, and I will happily give it to you. Hoop-ball.com. Click on the premium tab and select to buy the draft guide. And the other thing I'd love to ask of all of you guys is the last note before we sign off for the night is, could you please, if you've enjoyed these shows, rate and review the podcast. It makes a really big difference because every time you guys rate the show, it helps push us up the charts a little bit further. Every time you subscribe to the show, it pushes us up the charts a little bit further and it touches me in a special way. The way to do it, if you have any Apple products of any kind, meaning you could have iTunes on your computer, that's pretty easy. You just go to podcasts on the drop down, search for Fantasy NBA Today, click on it, and there's a rate and review tab. Or if you have any Apple mobile devices, that's an iPad or an iPhone, open the podcast app, click on search in the bottom right corner, type in Fantasy NBA Today, search for it. That's an easy part, right? <laughs> click on the show title with the big logo. It's going to be sort of upper top left. Scroll down on that page, and the rate and review function is down at the bottom of that resultant page. Please do drop a five-star review. If you have anything nice to say, you can throw it there. If you have critical feedback, I'd actually love it if you just hit me on Twitter. I don't mind if you have something to, to bring up with me that I could be doing better or differently. Um, I'm receptive to that. You don't have to just rant and rave in the rate and review format. Um, I'll hear you out, man. I, I'm, I'm never too proud to listen. I'm Dan Vespers. Thanks for listening. D-Bomb's episode two in the books. We still have more names to cover as we continue our exploration of the old, not-so-sexy guys falling in drafts. Dan Vespers, old man squad, <laughs> signing out. Uh, again, we'll, it's Tuesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.